We're going to turn together to John chapter 13 today. We're going to continue in our series, excuse me, in the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. And we're going to look specifically at verses 31 through 35. And where we're at in the story here is uh, Jesus has predicted Judas's uh, betrayal. And Judas has now left the, uh, the company of the disciples. He's gone off to betray Christ. And so that leaves Jesus with 11 of his 12 closest followers. And the next few chapters is going to be Jesus, uh, his, his, his last instructions for them. The, the next few chapters are just Jesus and the disciples. And he wants to pour into them before he goes to the cross. So we're going to begin, we're going to read verse 31, and we'll stop at 35 for today. Let's read together. When he had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told you, the Jews, so now I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray as we look at the word together. Father, I thank you for these last and and meaningful words of Jesus with his disciples in our opportunity over the next few weeks to study them and to apply them to our lives because we believe this word was not just for them but for us. So, so Father, we ask that you give us ears that hear, eyes that are open, hearts that believe, and minds that delight in and enjoy your truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Judas departs. Jesus says, now it's time. It's time. You remember this theme through, through the book of John where Jesus is repeatedly saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And then we shift here in the second half of John. The hour has come. And the hour not only has come, but now the minute is coming. The time is, is upon Jesus and his disciples of his glorification. His glorification is referring to his, his arrest, his humiliation, his death, his, his burial, but eventually his resurrection. That is how God is going to be glorified, through the humiliation and the sacrifice of Jesus, the Son of God, but through his ultimate conquering of sin and death through overcoming the cross and the grave. So that's the time that has now come. Jesus says this shocking thing to his disciples, children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, by this point, if you think back just a couple of days, Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. And expectations of Jesus being the Messiah, of being this conquering king, of being the one who had finally come to free them from the Roman Empire, of being the one who was going to establish the greatness of the Jewish nation once again. This is, this is where their minds are going. 
They think Jesus has come to to set us free. Jesus has come to conquer. Jesus has come to lead us in victory. And now Jesus stands up and he says, you will look for me just as I told the Jews. So now I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm leaving. It's this most crucial moment of Jesus's messianic ministry, he announces that he's leaving. I almost debated today starting my sermon, but just simply coming up here and saying, I'm leaving. But then I was afraid some people would cheer and it would, <laughs> it would, it would wound my ego. <laughs> but Imagine, you know, in, in, this, in this moment of, okay, things are getting going. We're gaining some traction here. This is good. We're excited to be a part of this. The leader stands up and he says, hey, by the way, I'm about to take off. How much of what he says next do you think they're actually going to hear? Um, their minds are just going crazy with what he just said. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus Jesus says, I'm leaving, and then he goes into this whole thing. A new command, I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is their response to this command that Jesus gives? Do they say, Jesus, teach us how to love? Jesus, explain to us what you mean by by this love. No, what they say, and I I didn't read this earlier, so it won't be on the screen, but the, the very next thing is, Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? They're not thinking about what he just commanded them to do. He's think, they're thinking about the bomb that he just dropped on them. And so that's what we'll look at next week as we'll, we'll get into the, to the discussion of where Jesus is going, why they can't come, and, and what's going to happen as a result of that. But today we're just going to sit on the command. We're going to sit on the command because even though it kind of flies over their head now, Jesus will actually come back to this uh, in in chapter 15. He'll come back and and after he's let them sort of settle down, after he's let them get out all their questions about where are you going and why are you leaving, he's going to bring them back to what's really important. What's really important that they hear is not where he's going. That's not going to make sense to them no matter what. What's important that they hear is this command. Love one another. But that's not a new command. This is is sort of a little bit confusing. Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another. That's not a new command. That that goes the whole way back to Old Testament law. They were always supposed to love one another. What's new about it is Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. He has set for them an example of what this love is to look like. The old command, uh, you, should, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, that's the original love command. But now Jesus has said, not just love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor as I have loved you. So the questions they should be asking is what does that look like? What does it mean to love just as Jesus has loved us? What does it look like to love as Jesus has loved? Let me give you a couple of things. On the handout, the first, the first fill in the blank is this. Christ-like love, and that's what we're going to talk about today, Christ-like love is humble. 
Christ-like love is humble. If we go back just a few verses earlier in this chapter, we see an example of this. Remember Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Let's look at it together. John 13, starting in verse 12, says, When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. He's saying, you, you recognize my position. You recognize my authority. You, you recognize I'm, I'm sort of a leader amongst some followers here. And you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example to follow that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Perhaps first and foremost, Christ-like love is a love that is characterized by humility. Now you think, how can love, how can love be anything but humble? Well, it's one of the the gifts of humanity, one of our strengths is that we have the ability to taint anything that is good with something that is bad. We, we, we do have the ability to love in a way that is actually self-seeking, in a way that is self-glorifying. We, we commit acts of love. We do things that on the surface appear loving, but really they're, they're so that we will get attention, or they're self-serving so that we will feel better. Christ-like love is humble. Christ-like love considers others better. Christ-like love considers others more important. What need did Jesus have to, maybe that's not the best way of saying it, but what, what motivation did Jesus have for, for coming to the earth and humbling himself and, and sacrificing himself even to the point of dying on a cross, dying a death of absolute humiliation other than this humble love that he has. There was Jesus in eternity lacking nothing, having all that he needed yet he chose to come to the earth, humble himself. That's the example that he sets for us. Christ-like love doesn't just love when there's something we're going to get from it. It doesn't just love when there's a need that, that we need to fulfill. Christ-like love humbles itself. Christ-like love is, is willing to, to be uh, not, not self-serving, but others-serving to consider the needs of others. It's a humble love. Christ-like love is humble. Jesus personifies this in every way. He washes the disciples' feet. He washes, he washes Judas' feet. His betrayer. He knows Peter's about to deny him. He knows the disciples are about to, to, to leave him in his greatest hour of need, yet he humbles himself. He makes himself nothing. He makes himself their servant. 
And then he says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. He doesn't just do that so that we're impressed with him. He does that as an example. He commands us to love like this. He commands us to love in, in, a, in an attitude of humility before him and before others. Okay, so the first thing is this. Christ-like love is humble. The next one, the next thing you'll see on your handout, Christ-like love is sacrificial. We're going to look at a couple of passages here under this idea of Christ-like love being sacrificial. Perhaps it's one of the most obvious characteristics of Jesus' love because his love is demonstrated by his death on the cross. His love is demonstrated by sacrifice. You cannot think of Jesus' love without thinking of his act of sacrifice on the cross. But it says in in verse 31, back to our passage, we're looking at in John 13, when he had left, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. Where he is going is to the cross. Where he's going is to be Falsely accused, unjustly arrested, inhumanely abused, humiliated, mocked, and crucified in one of the most barbaric ways to be, to be, to be, to be killed in a way that, that just deeply satisfies that human need for violence and revenge. Christ-like love is sacrificial. He holds nothing back, but he gives all. He gives everything that he has to save his friends. This is, what he, this is how he says it in, in verse 15, when Jesus finally comes back to what he starts with, okay, remember, Judas is gone. He's got his 11 disciples. Okay, final words. Hey, guys, by the way, I'm going away, so let me say some things to you. Love one another just as I have loved you. Love one another, okay? And then they get all wrapped up in the, what do you mean you're going away? And the conversation goes all kinds of directions. He finally, in chapter 15, finally comes back to what he started out trying to say to them. Verses 12 through 14. He says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. And and they don't even know the, the magnitude of what it means as I have loved you. They're about to find out. He says, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. What is the greatest expression of love according to Jesus? to lay down your life for your friends. And he uses, he, he, he defines, he defines what a friend is in that passage in 15. He talks, he talks about how you're no longer my servants. He's, he's changing the relationship. He's, he's bringing them into the family. He's, he says in uh, verse 15 of chapter 15, I do not call you servants anymore, 
because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. So he's bringing them into the plan of redemption. He's bringing them into to the inner circle with the father. He's, he's letting them in. That's what he means by friends. He doesn't just mean necessarily the way that we use friends or acquaintances or, or people that we buddy around with. He's, he's making a shift from servants into friends. He's changing the relationship. And he says, no one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. The greatest expression of love is to sacrifice yourself for those whom you're expressing that love to. And Jesus will do that like no other. He will do that in a way that can only be done one time by one person in all of human history. He makes the greatest sacrifice, the perfect son of God to save sinful man. Christ-like love is sacrificial. How do we, how do we demonstrate, how do we demonstrate the, the love that, that Christ has exemplified for us to others? We make sacrifices. We do things that cost us something. That's how you express love. It begins with humility but it must express itself in some sort of sacrifice. If your love for the people around you has never cost you anything, if your love for the people around you has never caused you to experience sacrifice, that's not Christ-like love. It's not the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. It might be worldly love. It might be some form of love, but it's not Christ-like love. And that's the command that we have. The command is to, to love just as he has loved us. Number three, Christ-like love one is humble. Christ-like love two is sacrificial. Number three, Christ-like love never abandons truth. It gets a little tricky here. If, if Christ-like love is humble and sacrificial, some of us might, might begin to think of love as we just give, give, give. We, to, to use an expression that gets thrown around a, a lot, um, we become a doormat. We let people take from us whatever, whatever they want. We let people walk all over us. We let people use us. That's what it means, after all, to, be, to love in Christ-like love, right? To be humble and to be sacrificial. Well, that's not Jesus, Jesus is no, nobody's doormat. Christ-like love never abandons truth. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. I'm gonna go back earlier in John chapter four. Perhaps I need to explain this a little bit first. In John chapter four, Jesus is, is um, you may remember this, it's been several months now since we looked at this, but I know many of you are very familiar with this story. Jesus meets this Samaritan woman at a well. And he engages her in this conversation. And in this conversation, he's beginning to reveal himself to her. He's letting her know who he is. He's, 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 he's revealing himself in, in very unique terms in this conversation. And then he does something that, that sort of takes her by surprise. He says in John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, 
He says to her, go call your husband and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So here they are having having a very polite and and meaningful conversation about what it means to worship God and and what might be the nature of the coming Messiah and all of this. And then Jesus puts his finger on perhaps the most sensitive subject of her entire life. A woman who has had five husbands and who is, by the way, seemingly not elderly. She's out here drawing water and going about life. And she has somebody that she stays with at this point. I suppose that could fit, you could could possibly be elderly, but she's had a rough life. Things haven't worked out. You You don't go through that many relationships as an adult and things are going well. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame. We think of loving people and we think of shying away from the things that might cause those types of emotions or those types of reactions. But Christ-like love doesn't abandon the truth. What this woman needs most is not for people to ignore her sin, not for people to ignore the, the thing that is, has caused her the most pain and to just be, just be kind of soft and sweet to her. What she needs is a humble, sacrificial Savior to come into the most sensitive area of her life and to deal with this guilt and shame and to deal with the sin that has brought her to this point. Jesus doesn't shy away from anybody's sin. In fact, he often brings it up when they're not even wanting to have the conversation. We see this again and again in the Gospels. So don't, don't misunderstand Christ-like love as saying, because we're, we're in this sort of battle with culture. What does it mean to love? As Christians, as Christians, what is it? How do we respond to a culture that is increasingly antagonistic against us? As a, as, how do we respond to a culture that is increasingly not okay with the stance that we take on certain subjects? That's tough. That's tough. I'm not going to, there, there, are, there aren't any, any easy answers to that. I can't, I can't answer that in a way this morning that's going to just make all of the struggle go away. I'm not even attempting to do that. But what I do want to say is that Christ-like love never abandons truth. Whatever it is that we need, how, whatever our response is going to be to the culture, our response cannot be that whatever you believe is true is Okay. Whatever you want truth to be, that's fine with Jesus. He doesn't really have an opinion about that. Christ-like love never abandons truth. Jesus approaches this woman. He desires to bring salvation to her. In fact, that's exactly what he does. He brings salvation to this woman. And not only to her, but the whole town that she lives in. She goes back to her village and she tells everybody, I've found the Messiah. And many of them come out and they believe in Jesus as well. He brings salvation, not by shying away from the truth, 
but by gently and by purposefully coming right into it. Christ-like love is humble, and it is sacrificial, but it loves truth. Jesus would say, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How can you know the truth if nobody tells you? Christ-like love never abandons the truth. Let me give you a couple of more examples. Mark chapter 10. If you look at Mark 10, verses 17 through 22, it says this, as he was setting out on a journey, speaking of Jesus, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. You notice Jesus doesn't, this guy comes up, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? And and Jesus doesn't just say, well, what do you think it means to be a good person? How would you define truth? You, You do what seems right to you. Be true to yourself. He doesn't say that. He gives him a list of laws, Old Testament laws. He says, you know the commandments. Verse 20, he says to him, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. Now, whether if that's true, that's incredible. Regardless, Jesus says in verse 21, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, what do you expect to come next? I know it's probably on the screen behind me. But what do you expect to come next? Jesus loved him and said to him, here's, an, uh, here's a sincere seeker of truth, it would appear. Jesus, tell me what I have to do to inherit eternal life. Oh, keep these commands. I've kept all of those. Wow, this is a good guy. Jesus, you would think, is going to look at him and say, well, you must be one of the good ones. Good for you. You get an A. You go straight to heaven. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. You lack one thing. Jesus doesn't shy. If this was the only way that this guy was sinning, that's not bad. Jesus puts his finger on it, just like he did with the woman at the well. Let's talk about that one thing that's keeping you from really surrendering to me. With the woman at the well, it was relationships. It was relationships with men. She was was seeking Whatever it was that she was seeking, let's call it her salvation. She was seeking salvation through relationships with men. This man, he was a moral and upright person by his, by his own description here. But he loved his possessions. Jesus knew that this man wasn't ready to follow him. Jesus knew that this man wasn't ready to truly lay down his life because he loved his possessions. As long as he could keep his possessions, he wanted to know what it would take to inherit eternal life. But Jesus puts his finger on the one thing, the one thing this man won't give up. Says he went away grieving. But I just wanna wanna make sure you caught verse 21. 
Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him. Jesus loved him in this way. Is that different than how you expect to see love demonstrated by Jesus? So often, what we would, what we would think would be loving in this situation would be to pursue this man, try to convince him. To, Jesus, bend the rules a little bit. He's not a bad guy. He's got, a, he's got a lot to offer to the team. Can't you, just, can't you just, just bend the rules this one time? Isn't that what love would do? Jesus loved him and still spoke the truth to him. And the man went away dismayed. Dismayed. He didn't follow. He didn't go do it. And yet Jesus loved him in that. That's perhaps a hard Hard way to see love. But it's how Jesus loved. I'll show you again. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. A couple examples of the same thing. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father but he told him let the dead bury their own dead but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God another said I will follow you Lord but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house but Jesus said to him no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God Christ like love never abandons the truth Christ like love demands a, a, a complete and total humbling of yourself and, and, and surrendering of your rights to follow him. If we are going to love the world as Christ has loved us, we cannot bend the truth. We cannot compromise the truth. We should and we can communicate the truth in a humble in self-sacrificial and loving way. But we can't abandon it. We can't ignore it. We can't make exceptions and say, well, you know, you seem pretty sincere. Maybe I won't bring up the truth. (laughs) It's not what Jesus does. It's not how he loves. He's humble. He's sacrificial. And he's 100% committed to the truth. Next, let's go back to the handout. We've got two more. Christ-like love is steadfast. Christ-like love is steadfast. It doesn't give up. It goes, it, it, it completes all that is required of it. It follows through to the end. I love how Jesus says this in the beginning, or how it's said of Jesus in the beginning of John chapter 13. Before the Passover festival, John chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
He loves them to the end. Jesus does not give up in the face of hardship. He does not give up in the face of sacrifice. He does not give up in the, in, in the face of humiliation. He does not give up in the face of betrayal. He loves them to the end. It's steadfast. His love for them, and consequently our love for others, perseveres continues on even when things get tough. I'm thinking, you know, we find ourselves in, in so many circumstances where our love has, seem, has seemingly been exhausted for some person. They've taken advantage of, they've deceived, they've lied, they've hurt, they've manipulated, they've, they've, they've done so much damage that the temptation can come to say, that's it, I'm out of love for you. I have no more love to give you. But Christ-like love is steadfast. It hangs in there. It stays in the fight. That doesn't, that doesn't mean, now I, I, I want to be very careful with that. It doesn't mean that it allows itself to be taken advantage of. To love somebody, uh, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, so, so many times we as parents find ourselves in situations where a child uh, a young adult or an adult child has just totally gone astray and they've, they've hurt people and they've manipulated and they've taken advantage of. What does Christ-like love look like? Well, Christ-like love sets boundaries. Christ-like love doesn't abandon the truth. Nonetheless, there's a, there's a difference between setting boundaries and giving up. There's a difference between setting boundaries and cutting off. Christ-like love is steadfast. It stays the course. It hangs in there. It doesn't give up. There may be seasons where it almost appears as though it has. There may be seasons where there's very little practical expression of that love as a necessity of setting healthy boundaries, if you follow me. But nonetheless, it remains steadfast. It loves to the end. It loves to the very end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is how Jesus loves us. And this is how we're called to love others. And then one last one. Last thing on the handout is this. Christ-like love distinguishes us from the world. When we do these things, when, when we actually live, live out this, this type of love for others, when we live a love that is humble, that is sacrificial, that's, that's willing to give up something, that's willing to pay the price, and when we somehow balance that with, with Christ-like love that does not abandon the truth, that finds ways to be loving and, and, and to hold to the truth, and when we, when we carry out that kind of love in a way that is steadfast, in a way that perseveres, in a way that does not give up hope, that type of love will distinguish us from the world. And that's exactly what Jesus said should happen. Back in, in John 13, verse 35, it says, by, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. If we love one another the way he has loved us, how will, we know, how will the world know we're his disciples? 
We'll look like him. We'll behave like him. We'll love like him. We'll humble ourselves. We'll make the sacrifices. We'll hold on to truth. We'll stay steadfast in this. This this is not an easy thing to do. In fact, it's impossible. Except for if we are born again and have the help of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus is going to talk quite a bit about in the next couple of chapters of dialogue. But this Christ-like love distinguishes us from the world. Can I suggest to us today that this world desperately needs examples of Christians who love like Jesus? We, this world needs the church to not compromise the truth, but to find ways to humbly and sacrificially and steadfastly love the world that we are engaging with the truth. Just like Jesus did. Just, and sometimes that made Jesus unpopular, and sometimes it made him extremely popular. There were times when, when, the, when the people around Jesus responded to him with such love and, and adoration that they wanted to make him a king. And then there were times when Jesus would say things that would just make them go, you know what? We don't want anything to do with this. So we should expect the same results. We should expect that there are going to be times that when people see the way that we love, that they're going to go, isn't that wonderful? Look at these Christians. Look at this church. Look at the way they love. And at the same time, we should be prepared that there are going to be times when the world says, man, I can't believe they believe that. I can't believe they would say that. I can't believe they hold to that. Persevere. Persevere in love. Remain steadfast. Don't let the world's opinion of us as the church determine how we react. Stay focused on the goal. Stay focused on Christ the King. Stay focused on how he loved. And that type of love would distinguish us from the world. That's what the world needs. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul speaking to the church a church that was extremely gifted, a church that, ha- that had a lot of charismatic gifting and a lot of people were paying attention to this church, yet, yet nonetheless, they had a lot of issues. They had a lot of things they weren't doing well. And Paul speaks to them when he's addressing their giftedness. He says in, in first, verse one through three of, of 13, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. I think to, for, for, for too many churches to the world, we're just that, we're the, or this noisy gong or this clanging cymbal. We, we, we're, we're loud and we're making our presence known, but to the world, it just, it's, just, mm, it's just irritating. And, and sometimes that can be the result of truth, but oftentimes it's a result of Christians not loving in a Christ-like way. Christians not loving with humility and with sacrifice. Christians not being steadfast in their love. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I said a minute ago, and I want to end with this. I said a minute ago that this is impossible. You can't love like Jesus. You can't. This is not something you can do. Unless you have surrendered your life, you have responded to the gospel and given your life to service to Christ, and he has come into you and filled you with his Holy Spirit and is living out that life through you. That's what it means to be born again. And I want to I extend an invitation to all of us here today to stop and to consider, have I been born again? It's not enough to just go to church. It's not enough just to be around Christians. The Bible demands, this is the truth that Jesus would, would, would not compromise. The Bible demands that we have a response to the gospel and that that response be that we would repent of our sin and that we would have faith and believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for us. That Jesus went and he died in our place so that we could be saved and so that we could be born again. And until you've done that, you can't love like this. You can't love the way Jesus calls us to love.